Hey, welcome to Athlete on Fire. I'm Scott Jones, your host. Hope you guys will enjoy the show today. Before we get into it, today's show is sponsored by Health IQ. It's an insurance company that helps health-conscious people like athletes, people training for different events, runners, cyclists. Uh, you know, we've had every type of athlete you can imagine on the show, and uh, you know, I'm pretty sure that's why they reached out to us. So they're out there reaching out to, to a lot of active companies to help get the word out. And I think it's pretty smart, to be honest with you. So if you guys want to check out Health IQ, go to healthiq.com slash AOF as an athlete on fire so they know that we sent you over there and see if you qualify. Or you can just mention AOF when you talk to a Health IQ agent. A um, couple things they do. They take the data and their understanding of what it means to be active and healthy, and they use those numbers. They use that data to help with underwriting so that we can get better and lower um, rates on life insurance, up to 33% lower, which is pretty cool. Uh, so, for instance, like if you know, you know, I'm a pretty fit dude. My BMI has been right around 24, 25 pretty much my whole life, which would have me borderline overweight. And my body fat, my body composition does not match that because I'm athletic and I have muscle mass. And they take that idea. They take ideas like that and they take those to the life insurance agencies with with uh, with a big sample population. So knowing that active people have different numbers and they're not going to be represented the same, that's what they do. So they are supported by tons of other um, groups, USA Weightlifting, Roadrunners Club of America, USA Triathlon, American Trail Running Association, a bunch of other people vie for them. And uh, they're supporting the show, so we got to give them a shout-out. Go to healthiq.com slash AOF to see if you qualify. All right, let's do the show. Appreciate it. All right, everybody, I'm here with Max Conserva, Good Leg Project. Uh, we caught up. Crap, when did we talk last? It's been a while. I think it was spring last year. Last spring? Okay. All the springs and winters and summers are uh, mixing in each other. I think that's because Max is getting old or something. I'm, I'm staying pretty darn young, but... Anyway, I'll throw, I'll throw him. Uh, I can't. Can I say? Can I say I throw you under the bus with your history? Is that too? That's awful. You know, actually, when I was young, I heard a story about a kid who got caught under a bus that his mom was driving, and it was like this folklore, urban myth. When I was young, that kind of went around, and I remember I was telling it to somebody, in a group of people, like you know, to, like, hey, can you? This could have happened, and it turned out that it happened to it was in that group of people. What? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, it was an actual true story, and it did happen. His mom was a school bus driver, and he was holding onto the back of the bus, unbeknownst to her, with a skateboard. I think last time we we spoke, we talked about the dumb things kids do when they're by themselves. Oh yeah. He was holding like he was water skiing. And I don't know, he went around a corner or something and got swung underneath the bus. He wasn't seriously injured. Like, he was, I think, broke a leg or something. But it was just one of those times when you, I think it was my first memory of having my foot in my mouth. <laughs> well, it's a mate. It's funny because that's such a, that express, especially in the sports world, like, getting thrown under the bus is such an expression in the sports world. Can I freaking talk? The sports world. And uh, I'm sitting here about to say the expression, and I, you know, like your whole story comes flooding back to me. And <laughs> I'm going to make people go listen to the old show just because that's just an, the worst tease ever. But go listen to the old show if you want to know how close that could be to uh, offensive if, if you didn't know. Of course, you're not going to be offended. But you know what's crazy, Max? This morning I was telling, I was telling your story. One of my clients um, has two amputations, uh, below knee, diabetic, older guy. Um, 
he, he just turned 70, but he's still really, he's an active 70 year old, especially with the amount of health issues that he's had in his life. Um, and we have kind of a, we have good rapport because of the fact that I've worked with a lot of uh, adaptive athletes and I've worked with charities out here that do a lot of work with adaptive athletes. And it's, it's just, um, I wouldn't say it's a complete passion of mine, but I love getting people moving and whatever background they come from is the background they come from. I don't really care, you know? Um, so I got to tell him your whole story, which, uh, he was actually really attentive, really interested in, and into it, which is really cool. Um, but, and, and I've talked to a lot of guys on this, sh- on this show that have gone through, through similar situations and you've kind of made it, I don't know if it's your life mission, but you're, you're working with a lot of adaptive athletes as well, um, to get them moving well, get them moving at a high, at a high level, uh, get them moving, um, often, which is just as important as all those other things. So you have come, you're, you start working with the PT and you come up with a curriculum to do what? Like what, it, what is the curriculum meant to do? What was the genesis of this? I'm sure it's pretty, could be obvious, but just tell us the story about that for a minute. Yeah. Uh, so the genesis for me getting involved in, it, it is my life's passion now. That's what, that's what I work on. Um, specifically, uh, strength training, um, with my emphasis being on physical impairments, um, from minor physical impairments all the way up to catastrophic. The interest for me was how much, how big of a difference it did for my own, um, physical condition. So I've had this long-term condition I just kind of got through life, you know, every day I was just like, get through the day, get through the week. And it wasn't until I started paying attention to the way I moved that, um, I saw how important something like that simple was, you know, you have a complicated problem. Um, if you're spending an hour every day or every other day trying to figure it out, you just start to make progress. And throughout that, I, uh, I started to recognize the things I was learning would be very helpful to an entire population. And the reason um, we put it down in the curriculum, so I, I met Teresa Larson. Um, actually, this is a good story. Um, she, I've been working with Mobility Watt and Kelly Starrett now for a few years. And she was on staff, still is on staff with them. And Kelly introduced me to her, um, Teresa Larson down in San Diego. And the way we got introduced is she called me up and said, hey, I'm running a camp for Wounded Warriors about learning functional fitness. Can you come down and be a coach? And at the time, I was not a coach. I was like, uh, I'm not a coach. Are you sure you want me to come? And she's like, yeah, I know you're not a coach, but you know, you've know you learned. You have the experiential um, empathy that you could probably help these guys out. And I was skeptical at the time I went down there. And I was in a group of about uh, 10 people, and we were learning how to do an Olympic clean with just like a medicine ball. How do you explode and kind of toss weight up and catch it up, up high? And she, um, there was somebody that was missing, I had a below the knee amputation, and she was struggling with this movement, and I was watching her move, and I started to recognize all the same movement pattern problems that I had. And even though we had different injuries, um, I started to see the similarity. The, the locked ankle, um, the hesitancy, um, the bad neurological programming favoring one side. And so I walked over there. I told her a few things. A light bulb went off in her head, and she was able to complete the movement. Nice. And right there, I recognized something for the first time in my life. It was uh, that I actually I realized if I wasn't there right then and there, 
no one would have been able to tell her what I told her. And I've never been in a situation in my life that I really truly believe that about. So all the stuff I'd learned, I was actually an engineer in school, so I knew no engineering crap. I was in different various businesses um, throughout my 20s. And I know a lot of stuff about those things by virtue of working in those fields. But I never learned anything where I was like, this is mine. I know this. And if nobody else really knows this or very few people know this thing. And so from that moment on, I recognize that if I don't, at a minimum, just attempt to export what I've learned, it's just like a shitty thing to do. It's like I know something. It can help a lot of people. They have no place for it. And what kind of person would I be if I didn't even attempt to try to get that out there? And that's how the path started. That's how I met Teresa. And this is our attempt at um, helping other coaches make that jump of going from a typical private practice or group class setting where they may have the best intentions like, oh, I'd love to work with somebody with a disability, but they are just scared to get started. Right. Where, where's the fear coming from? Is it is it fear of hurting them? Is it fear? Yeah, I don't know. Like you can dive in. You probably, you probably know. I mean, I, I don't know where the fear comes from. Yeah, well, you're the exception. Like I'm really glad that you've been involved, you've been helping I think the fear probably is, is, is primarily coming from no one wants to, you know, everybody wants to do no harm first. Right. And there is, the, the, the truth to that is um, you need to, as I think a coach, even if you're not tremendously rigorous about your practice in terms of like analytically thinking about a framework for what you're doing, um, inherently you're kind of doing um, trial and error to a certain extent. You have a client in. Yeah. You're finding out what works well, what gets them motivated, what's stepping over the line, what's not, and you're kind of crafting your, even if you're a bad coach, you, you're doing that at some level. Yeah. The good coaches are, are thinking ahead of time and trying to prevent like, stepping too far out of line. Um, but you have to throw a little bit out of that out the window because you're, someone's walking in with um, on the tail end of what human capability you're used to seeing. Right. No, that's so a good people, point. Yeah, so pe- people are just scared to, like, hey, I can this person do a kettlebell swing? Should I expect them to do a kettlebell swing? Can they deadlift? Should I expect them? If they can't complete it, can I say, hey, come on, try harder? Or is something else going on? Right. Um, so that, that's, a, that's a legitimate fear. However, and I think you've experienced this, 95% of what you learn and 95% of what dictates you being a good coach to any athlete completely translates to anybody yeah regardless of where they come where their background is yeah and so it's really just finding those few pieces of how to think a little bit differently about working with this athlete with cerebral palsy with um, post-polio syndrome post-stroke and taking a step back and understanding how you can apply all this stuff you already know and give them the benefit of uh, your ability i love that no and then like you should be doing with every single person that walks in the door, whether it's a private client or in a group setting, is you're setting expectations. And the expectation oftentimes for an adaptive athlete might be, you know what, we're going to try this. I have no idea what's going to happen, and that's okay. I don't care if you fall on your face if you don't. You know, I mean, that that really, to, to break some ice and let pe- give people permission to not literally, but sometimes literally fall on their face is not going to be the worst thing in their life, especially if... If um if you find somebody that comes in your doors who's been 
babied by the system for for so long. They're they're more ready to get after it than than most people realize. And uh, you know, and then you're talking about uh, you know being able to to notice movements that are in in you know a traditional able body that might not translate well. There's the art of tra- of coaching and training, and it's why I'm on the preventative and performance side because. I like that flexibility to to use my creativity on the pre side, um, where you know a lot of you know a lot of PTs have to worry about the post and the treatment side and the protocol. Although there's some art to that as well, but uh, yeah. but there is definitely some leeway and and a lot of that leeway with adaptive athletes. I mean, if there's an image to paint, like picture someone who has an amputation at the ankle versus somebody who has an amputation two inches above the ankle versus three inches versus below knee versus above like every inch changes how your body moves. And, you know, if there's, um, prosthetics involved, like every prosthetic moves differently, it just, do- it just does based on the person. So, uh, you know, a lot of this stuff is custom made for individuals. So you're not going to get somebody that just has, um, a, a predestined protocol for, for living a good quality life of, of performance and fitness. So, uh, yeah, bridging that gap to let people, let trainers know and coaches know that, you're probably if if you use a little care and you set some expectations, you're probably gonna get some pretty cool results out of working with people that maybe you wouldn't have in the first place. Um, and then, yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll say what you said at the beginning is one of the key things we actually go over the, go over in the seminar. Um, as a coach, you recognize your coach and you recognize you know what you know. And if somebody comes in. You, you recognize all the benefits that exercise can provide, that bodies are supposed to move, and if they're not moving, bad things are going to happen. If you're sedentary all the time, if you're laying on your back all the time, if you're sitting in a wheelchair all the time, there's going to be consequences to these things. And when they come in, you know, when you're working with your first individual in a wheelchair, first person missing a leg, you're going to be learning right along with them and admitting that up front, saying, hey, this is the first time I've worked with somebody with your condition, um, but I know a lot about fitness, and I'm really excited, and I really believe that if we sit down together and uh, you trust me and I trust you, and we take it nice and slow and go one step at a time, I'm confident we can get you better than you are today. Yeah. And that's yeah. where you start. And then it just goes from day one. Try a few things, successful day. Mark that in the books. Hey, we can do a little bit of deadlifting in a wheelchair. We can do some overhead motion in a wheelchair. We got that down. If nothing else, we can just get them really good at those movements. And you can just keep being a little adventurous every day, fully respecting the condition all the time. Um, And I found that, like, you know, I run a class every weekend where anybody with a physical impairment, whether or not I've, I've seen them before, can come in for free. And so I get people five minutes before class show up and tell me about a condition I've never heard of in my life. <laughs> Joint loss syndrome, uh, CMT, some neurological condition that nobody has but three people. I just sit down with them and say, hey, tell me what your normal day is like. Um, can you sit down on a chair? Show me. Can you get on the floor and get off the floor? Show me. And I'm just looking at how their movement's affected by it. Are any of their joints lacking range of motion or strength or stability? Uh, do they have any issues with neurological control of a specific limb or the entire body? And once you start seeing these things, you can just start peeling back the movements of, hey, we just need to add some more stability to this person. Instead of squatting onto nothing just in the air, let's have them sit down to something. Let's have them hold onto a pole. And we can just start there nice and safe. 
and let them walk with us down this path as we can just add on volume, add on complexity, add on intensity. No, that's great. I started smiling when you said like people will come in five minutes before a session because like even if you go to like go to any group setup like your 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 famous ones like CrossFit and Orange Theory, but then you know like even your local ones like I told you I'm I'm training with this local company here. You got ten to twenty four. Like usually we have ten to twenty four people in there. Somebody comes in with you know, you know this is their second workout after being uh, released from an ACL or something. I know the injury really, really well. It doesn't scare me at all. But there's so many different things that, you know, able body can come in and say, oh, my neck's hurting today. It's tight. And, and you know, you just see people, trainers, that just get really nervous and, and they don't have they, – maybe they don't have the breadth of knowledge to just dive right in and know what modifications are necessary. But either – Either do you, Max. Like you, you, there's no way you can know every disorder in the world and be able to adapt right on the spot. So you just have to work with it in real time. And that's there's nothing wrong with that. And just make sure you have a waiver signed. I think as long as you have that respectful approach of, uh, frankly, nobody knows the answers to a lot of these things. Right. Like when we talk about um, all these conditions, the medical healthcare system is aligned around the acute nature of incident. So in terms of treating a stroke, what the surgeons are doing, the nurses are doing, and the physical therapists, when they're involved, are right around the traumatic area. So you get a stroke, you rush to the hospital. They have a procedure to relieve, you know, potentially blood clotting. You know, they have an aftercare protocol, and then maybe you're in bed for weeks, so the physical therapists are working you relearn your coordination. But then after that physical therapy ends and the person goes home and a year goes by or two years go by, and they still can't go up the stairs as fast as they want to or they want to ride a bike, there's no doctor that has run studies on how do you ride a bike three years post-stroke. Like, yeah. there's not there's not an industry around that. There's no insurance. So... That's really the domain of personal trainers. It's the domain of skilled coaching. It's the domain of strength and conditioning. And so you uh, you have to recognize there's just nothing done. Like I have a post-polio patient uh, that I see a couple times a week, and she's one of the youngest post-polio patients in the U.S., and, you know, she's older than me. You know, and I'm 36. So there's just that's a that's a condition that just isn't very common, and and people don't know what to do with it. Um, let alone doctors and even physical therapists, they're not necessarily movement coaches. They're not. They don't know about proper mechanics. They don't know about applying these things to, things to sport. So you really are on the cutting edge. Yeah. The yeah. flip side of that equation is you can do so much good with this population. If you have any of your clients that you're like, hey, I made this big progress, we lost 20 pounds, we learned how to do a snatch. I mean, think about somebody coming in who's never jump roped in their life, like their entire life, and they always thought they couldn't do it, and you get them to jump rope you know, 20 times, and I'm actually bringing up a story that happened last week for me. Yeah. And that is like a everybody cries type moment. And when you're working with this population, you're crying a lot. There's like a lot of those moments, and it's it's phenomenal. Yeah, now I think I told you last time we were on the phone that I, I had this cerebral palsy client. And this is one, you know, one of my favorite mo- moments. I've always had this um, since grad school. I've had this theory on athleticism. I'll get back to the point in a second, but the theory was, you know, for somebody with a, a nervous system disorder, 
um, or you know, some kind of brain blocker, or some, you know, so, something that's really affecting their movement, like cerebral palsy, or you know, there's a ton. But I always thought, like, what if, what if there's somebody that has cerebral palsy that has the same g- genetic athleticism if you got rid of the um, the disorder as like Michael Jordan, like mm-hmm. everything. If this wasn't blocking those pathways, what if they had? All, you know. So I always think like it's probably not true. Like this is a dream, but you've got to treat them like it's like it's true. Like you've got to treat athletes and individuals like it's true. And I had this client who had cerebral palsy, and as you know, there's a um, cerebral palsy goes across the spectrum as far as the the intensity of the disorder and how it affects people. Yeah, yeah. Um, she was functioning, but she. She definitely had some uh, um, some movement issues for sure. Um, so walking was difficult for her. She was a teacher, administrator. So being in a hallway at, at, at her high school, like kids would bump into her every once in a while, and she'd fall every once in a while from that. So you can picture the stability. Anyway, after just like six months of working with her, like I got a text from her that she walked up five flights of stairs, and it's the first time she's walked up a flight of stairs since she was like five years old. Like little right. stuff like that, you know? It's just it's amazing. So I'm actually – you know, I, I love a good, cha- I love a good challenge from a professional standpoint. It's so, it's so fun. It's very rewarding. All right. So I have some, I have some good questions. Okay. Actually, you know what? Let me tell people where to find this bad boy. So mobilitywad.com, they have a little tab up there. I, I can't tell you the exact uh, link because like we were saying, it's just a crazy long link. Um, but they have a tab that says courses, click on the courses, scroll down a couple um, categories and it's, it's called mobility wad functional training for adaptive athletes. And uh, for coaches, for sure, for trainers and coaches who want to learn more, get more out of their clients that that might have some of the issues we're talking about, and w- would it be good for the athlete as well? Yeah, to give you a kind of an overview of what we do, um, we wanted to make it really, we wanted to solve the question of if you're a trainer and you have a desire to work with this population and somebody walks in on forearm crutches in a wheelchair with an amputation, you're ready to go. And so we, we start out with how do you treat an athlete? How does it change your relationship? And then we found the next hurdle was, okay, I'm comfortable with them, um, but how do I even think about training somebody with a limited capacity? So we go through lower limb impairments, upper limb impairments, um, wheeled athletes, so typically spinal cord injury or, or really, really significant amputations. And then finally... Um, traumatic brain injury or pan neurological conditions, stroke, etc. So we give a picture of, hey, these are the general major categories of athletes you're going to see, and this is how um, this is a high-level view of how you should approach them. Now, with that being said, this is absolutely beneficial for an athlete. However, um, if they only have a leg amputation, they're also going to learn about people with arm amputations, people in wheelchairs, and people um, with neurological neurological conditions as well. Nice, I love it. All right, let's talk. Let's go anecdotal for a minute here. Um, Do it. Give me a call, give me a story or two in the last week that was just interesting. Like the jump rope one. That's a great one, of course. Uh, yeah. What has this? This course hasn't been out long enough for any of your any of your customers for the for the program to have big input. I'm assuming, but do you have anything anything like that for us? Yeah, yeah. I'll give you a great example. So um, we can talk about the jump rope one. Um, and the course just launched, I think, two weeks ago. So we're just getting it out there. Um, and uh, so I had an athlete, and I, I've been working with her on on the weekend in my volunteer class. And she um, took her to her first CrossFit competition last year. 
And this year, uh, she one of her desires was to jump rope. Now, she has post-polio syndrome. One of her arms doesn't work at all. One of her arms is basically just held here. One of her legs doesn't work at all. She has a brace. She can kind of keep it in extension, so keep it locked out straight. But when she bends it, she starts to lose control. So she has one strong leg, one strong arm, um, and they're kind of cro- they're cross body. So she wanted the jump rope. Okay. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's figure this out. And so what we start doing with something like that is we look at what we're actually trying to do with the jump rope. So we have two things going on. We have the actual process of jumping. We have then the process of moving the rope. And then we have the process of actually coordinating the movement of the arms and shoulders with the, with the jumping movement. So the first thing I did is just started stripping that down to its basic. And so I had her just practice jumping in place. Can we jump off her one leg in place? And then because one of her arms in no way can swing the jump rope, I thought, okay, next we're just going to focus on the timing and not worrying about the spinning of the rope. I'll spin the rope. So I tied one end of the rope to the rig, like our, our squat rack. Yeah. I had the other end of the rope. And then I had her stand um, with the, the rope in front of her. And we found it was easy for her. Or actually, we tried to go forward at first doing a typical jump rope. And she kept catching her toe on the, on the, on the rope. So we actually have had a, a retired professional jump roper in our gym. And he shows us all these crazy tricks he does, forward, backwards, 360. And so in, when he teaches, he's told our classes, he's like, hey, when you jump rope, there's no reason you should be better forward than backward. Like, you should be good at both these things. You should jump rope equally well both ways. And so this is just one of those creative things where I'm like, okay, if she can't jump well forwards, there's no reason why she has to. So we started jumping rope backwards. And in this way, we were able to clear her toe a little, a little easier because the back of her foot came up first, and then it, her toe had time to get through. And so we made a little timing system where I'd say, one, two, three, go, and on go, she would jump. Nice. And we nice. went from you know mess up after mess up to doing, I think we got 18 in a row, and she was just like, you know, within, within 10 minutes of screwing around, a lifelong goal we accomplished just with a little bit of courage on both our parts, a little bit of creativity with the equipment, and a little bit of thinking outside the box of, you know, why do we jump rope forwards? Why do we do this a certain way? And from that, you're able to just open the door for somebody to say like, hey, yeah, you can jump rope. And then the next question is, can we add more complexity after that? Yeah, and probably if you got it in 10 minutes. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> jump roping, man, that... I introduced jump roping to all my clients. I did it growing up a lot. My dad is like the head of the jump rope for heart in the whole Southwest Florida. So he would have like all these, um, all these athletes, these, uh, elementary and middle school kids. Like my dad was six, four, two, seven. He's a big dude. And, uh, yeah. some of the, what's that? That is not a jump roping physique. No, it's not. But he did, he taught all of it. He's a great athlete. He played football in college and all that stuff. But he would have like these little kids because he was so big. He he would be doing the double under thing, pop, pop, and he would be kind of uh, like in a squat with his chest down towards the ground. ground like he's doing like a bent over row kind of, and he would have some of these kids jump off of his back doing front flips into the into the double unders and stuff. It was freaking crazy. Like these kids were awesome, and I thought I was good, and I could never make my dad's own team. Unbelievable. Okay, we won't we won't go too far back. No, that's awesome. I, I love that story. I love the fact that, you know, just knowing that you're, you're able to kind of push a little bit, uh, just because it's in a, it's in a safe environment and yeah, this is awesome. This is awesome. All right. So what else is going on, man? So, uh, go, go over to mobility. Wild. check that out guys. 
Uh, I, th- I don't know if I told you guys listening that we're going to have Max on here fairly frequently just to kind of catch up and talk about life and things that he's working on in the gym out there in San Fran. You guys are in San Fran, right? Right in the city? Yeah. 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 So <clears throat> besides all of this big project finally getting launched, what else is going on personally and professionally? Yeah. Um, I've uh, been giving a lot of talks lately. Just was in Alabama this last weekend, Birmingham. That was the first. Birmingham. And- I just drove through there. The biggest, uh, probably biggest rebel flag I've ever seen in my life. Did you drove drove through, drive through there like last week? Because it is yeah. freezing. It was absolutely freezing. It was the week after Christmas. I couldn't believe it. No, it was brutal cold. As we were going to the beach, of course, it was freezing there too. Good plan, uh, Scott. Yeah, <laughs> I was giving. <laughs> I was giving a. Uh, uh, I do some motivational speaking. Um, I don't really look at it as motivational speaking. I just like to tell the story and what I've learned. Yeah. Um, so I do some speaking. So I'm speaking down there. I speak next week with uh, the primary point being um, I had a difficult problem to overcome. And, uh, it, you know, the process of, of, you know, accepting your reality, uh, right. that everyone has problems and you can't just sit around and hope the world will fix them. Um, or I should say, I shouldn't say can't. I mean, sure, you can do that if you want. It's just... Not a very good idea because it's probably not going to happen. Right. So, with that being the reality, it's like, how do you look at a problem that seems complicated and insurmountable and actually make progress on it? And I think that's to me, it's the story of my life. And it wasn't something straightforward. Um, you know, it, to me, it took me until I was thirty to really realize that simple truth. Um, and so, I think that resonates with a lot of people. You know, I, I kind of fucked up in that category for a good 20 years. I could have just been a way better person all around. And then I, a door was open in my mind and a flip was switched. Um, and I was just able to play the game of life so much better with the hand I was dealt. Yeah. What was the group? Who were you speaking to? Uh, so speaking to a, a charity for a charity organization called the ability experience. Nice. Um, and, uh, they do a lot of work with people with, um, with, uh, physical impairments and people with, um, uh, learning disabilities. Uh, and so they, uh, they brought me up as an example of how, of how, you know, individuals can have an impact on this community, yeah. um, by just, you know, blazing their own trail. That's awesome. It's yeah. a, man, if you get, this is so cliche, but I mean, literally if, if those words kind of fall on one person that can go get it you know like it's just it's it's so true because you know like i'm working with individual i'm doing a lot of one-on-one stuff here in town and every once in a while you just get like the client that actually is open to what you have to say that's beyond the training just to take the next step and you know i got i have this guy who's got the the he's a double amputee since i've known him he was a single amputee when i first met him you got a ton of clients that's awesome man oh yeah when i first met him his uh his left this is actually the same guy as before. His, oh. his left foot was amputated halfway up, and then he had to get amputated. He had to keep going up his, le- up his leg. It was just awful. But he's seventy years old, and he um, he is still open to the idea of. He was a skier before. He's open to the idea of skiing uh, on an adaptive setup. And uh, like, there's an organization out here called NSCD. You guys they, have a bunch of great organizations out there in college. NSCD and Romp Global. Um, those are the two big ones that I that I've worked with, but just really, really active, like athletically active, which is really, I mean, that's what I'm into. So it's really cool. And, uh, yeah. So 
they have uh, pretty affordable like um, lessons to get on. There's I, I don't know all the terminology because there's different setups for based on the the injury or this or the um, you know the result whatever you want to call it. So there's all these different setups, but I I pulled up the website today and he's going to sign up for a for a half day skiing lesson and. Seven years old. Like, for me, you just want to see people that are engaged and, like, open to the idea for themselves. And then you can go fuel that fire. I mean, that's I mean, that's what we're doing. That's what I'm doing online or trying to. I think I'm doing a decent job at it. Um, that's what I do when I'm not online. Like, my whole life's, my whole life's mission is just to get people moving because I know how it affects quality of life and all that stuff. So, just crazy yeah. stuff. Definitely. I think the I was asked to give advice to college students, and I'm very, very far removed from that. Um, but the biggest piece of advice I give around this is um, you have to let a lot of control go of your life. Like as much as you think and people talk in ways like, oh, you should have a plan and you should, you're going to go from college and get a degree and then go step one and step two and step three. In reality, the way I look at my life now and I wish I had from the beginning is all you can really control is the situations you put yourself in. And then once you're in that situation, all you can hope for is that you experience something that changes who you are as a person and gives you more clarity about a better way to go. And in a way, it's like you can't anticipate those decisions. It's your, your skill in life is to get better and better at identifying situations that are probably going to lead to some good insight into life. And then you don't really get to control what that insight is, and you don't get to control where it leads you. It's just you got to go try something, and then it might be stupid, and then you're like, okay, I know I'm not going to do that again. But hopefully you're going to learn something doing it, and, uh, and that's going to ultimately lead you where you are. The work I do today has nothing to do with what I studied in school, has nothing to do with multiple jobs I've had in the past. Um, it was just a matter of me putting myself in enough situations later on in life where I recognize that I, I can do something that's incredibly beneficial for my life and I can learn things that I know a population that I can benefit incredibly. And answering that by just sitting down and thinking about it for a long time never happens. Yeah. You have to put yourself in a situation where you see something you can't unsee. Yeah. No, I love it. I mean, I mean that that's the goal when you go speak to somebody. Like you want them to come out changed in some way, shape, or form from your words, and I think that happens in life every day. I, yeah, I, I did learn a long time ago that that uh, you can't really plan. You you just got to put your head down and and figure things out when things inspire you to move and take yeah. action. But you can't plan what what that action is going to lead to anyway. So, uh, g- giving away a lot of that energy so that you can. Or giving away a lot of that control so you can put the energy into the thing is huge. It's huge. Yeah. Cool, man. So I, so I think what we'll do, I, I have lots of questions, but here, this is the, the huge benefit of having people on regularly. I don't have to cover everything in 40 minutes. We can just talk about something. I mean, I have questions about the lifestyle of where you live because I love where you live. It's, uh, if I lived in an actual city, it would be San Francisco. I'm gearing towards living, uh, getting a place in the mountains. So that's the furthest from any kind of city, which is great too. But you, you live in a really cool place. I'd love to, a little bit about, about the culture of the gym that you're at. Um, yeah. things you've learned working with Kelly. I think that would be interesting to people for sure. Um, yeah. you know, gym stuff like just building cause, cause I do this on a daily basis too. Like how do you build a culture that is conducive to, 
your your bigger goals as as a gym owner or as a coach. I think uh, I think a lot of people could learn from that because it's not as easy. It's not as easy as it sounds. I don't I don't think anyway. I think there's got to be some strate- strategic planning and and a lot of thought put into to culture. So we can talk about a lot of the stuff in the industry. Definitely want to dive into specifics. Uh, like I'll probably geek out a little bit, like hearing better ways that I can work with with people out here. Just from a from a purely teaching standpoint i think that would be interesting for people so we'll go all over the place man it'll be fun and uh i'll I'll always appreciate your time so thanks for coming on max definitely and uh actually i remember now i'll be jumping out of a plane in two weeks in oahu yes if i make it back to the podcast you can ask me about that otherwise you will know what happened well i've done that before and here's the thing if you want to if you want to die Unnaturally, like I think falling out of a plane 14, 18,000 feet up in, in the sky is pretty unnatural. If you want to die in that, there's no better way. You get to like fly around, act like a bird for, for a few minutes. I mean, the ending is going to be quick and probably somewhat traumatic for your family, but you're going to have a good old time. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be <laughs> It's actually my second time. I'm taking my girlfriend for it was, it's a Christmas present, so I'm taking it for a first time. I will end the show telling my skydiving story. Uh, I'm not going to say where this was. It was somewhere in Colorado, but the guy, first of all, this is, this is a crazy story. So we went up, this was like when, remember your young professional life, Max? Like when you're in your mid twenties and it was like friends, like everybody hung out at everybody's houses and you just go party and goof off, whatever. It was that time in my life. And, uh, so everybody's going to go skydiving. My sister's in town. It was one of the people's birthdays. There's like 20 of us. We go up to this hangar, um, out in East Colorado and they let you stay. They let you camp out in the hangar the night before, and they give you all of your lessons and stuff. The weather was looking awful. We didn't think we were going to be able to do it, so everybody gets a beer out and uh, get after it. Just have a crazy, like a night that probably that night would have gone viral around the world. And uh, so the, the next day we wake up. There's clouds everywhere. We don't think we're going to do it. We're just going to wait it out. We're playing kickball on the runway. This is we're playing. We're actually playing kickball on the runway. And they call us and like, oh, there's a break. So the, the Colorado, the sky just breaks, and then it's blue skies everywhere. Sky breaks. This guy, my, because uh, you know you have to fl- uh, jump tandem the first time. Oh yeah. He, he uh, first of all, I said, hey, do I need glasses? No, I'll get them. I'll get them. We're getting on the plane. The guy forgot my glasses, my goggles. <laughs> and back in my mind, I was like, I'm gonna freaking, I'm freaking gonna die today. So and when the when the owner put the 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 experienced guys with their partner, this guy did like a little lip smack because we were with a bunch of cute girls, and he wanted to go tandem with one of the girls, and he got the big old six two guy, who he had to go tandem with. So he gives me attitude, and he gives his boss attitude. I was like, what a freaking douchebag. So then, then uh, so he forgot my goggles. He's giving me attitude because he didn't want to go with me. And then I was so much taller than this guy, that when I was about to jump. My knees were on like the edge, you know, you're looking down into the abyss of, of, uh, space, whatever. And I had to get on my knees for him to be able to stand up behind me, which cracked me up. <laughs> it was just funny. But anyway, you know, he, he gives like a half ass one, two. I, I don't know if we got to three or if he just pushed off, but when he pushed off, um, he wasn't paying attention where, in, with my positioning and I didn't know. And my shin got, just got destroyed on the side of the plane. So I get down, I'm bleeding all the way down my, I still have a scar from it. I'm bleeding all the way down my leg. Uh, the the free fall was, you know, the free fall is the fun part in my opinion. Once yeah. you pull, once you pull the shoe, it's cool, but it's just like a, it's like a ride at an amusement park or something, you know. Uh, so I get down there, get away from, him, and don't even look at the guy the rest of the day. That's my amazing experience there, Max. 
<laughs> so I hope they're nicer to you in Hawaii anyway. I'm not going to let my girlfriend listen to this podcast before we go. No, don't do that. Actually, the party was fun, though. Anyway. <laughs> cool, man. It's great chatting with you. Have, have, so when are you going out there next week? Uh, yeah, I'm in L.A. this weekend, and I'll take off, I think, next Thursday we go out there. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, we'll catch up in a little while. And uh, you guys, go check it out, mobilitywad.com. Check out the courses. You'll see the uh, the adaptive training with Max. And remind me, your partner, uh uh, Teresa Larson, she's she has a, a physical therapy practice in San Diego called Movement RX. So if you're down there in the San Diego area and you're a coach looking to train other adaptive athletes or an adaptive athlete yourself, uh, definitely look her up. Boom! Thanks a lot, everybody.